week two of a series on uh, the subject matter is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Um, Last week we went through looking at some of the major differences between what happens when you get saved, what happens when someone gets baptized in water, and what happens when someone gets baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, I know for me a lot of my life I had all those three mixed up together and I, I didn't know if they were all the same thing or how they fit together. So we spent a lot of time on that last week. If you weren't here and you're interested in that, um, we have the, uh, a video of that class posted on um, my website. If you're not on the email list, I have a sheet over there. You can just put your email on there and I'll send you a link to it and you can watch all of our classes actually. Um, but what I wanna talk tonight, I wanna go back over that a little bit and then I'm not totally sure where we're going tonight. Um, I don't know if you're new to this class or not, but God told me four years ago to stop making notes and stop preparing. And then when I, when I get up, he's just going to tell me how we're going to go. So that's what I do each week. I never, I don't always know what, what's going to happen. So uh, let's talk about some things that the Holy Spirit does on the earth and in the life of the believer. Um, so thinking about the Holy Spirit and how he interacts with humanity, what are some activities we think of him doing, or what are some things he does for us or through us? Yes. He calms us down. Calms us down. So that one of his names is actually the Comforter. So he comforts people. He's a Comforter, and um, the the Greek word there also implies strength, strengthen. So he comforts and strengthens. Skip. Guides, yes. Guide. Can, so, can someone give us an example of how the Holy Spirit would guide someone? Help you make a decision whether right or wrong. Now, in your life, can you give an example of maybe how he would do that? He, he warns you about a, a bad decision. Um, one of the ways he leads people is if you're not sure which way to go, he will give you a sense of peace about it, even if it doesn't logically seem peaceful. Right? Like you'll feel really good about going here even though people are telling you not to do that, for example. It's not always like that, but sometimes he just gives you a sense of peace helping you know which way to go. One thing the Holy Spirit will never lead you by is fear. Like he would not give you fear to help you make decisions, for example, because we don't have a spirit of fear, right? So the Holy Spirit guides us, absolutely. I love that about him. Yes? Wisdom and knowledge. And would you, uh, can you give us an example of one of those, like, like experientially? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So she was talking about um, praying about a big decision, and he gives, he opens doors and, and makes a way sometimes. Um, I'll give you an example for me, just from work. So I work on computers, 
and a lot of times I'm sitting in front of a problem that I don't know how to solve. That happens a lot. And so I can spend a long time trying all kinds of different things, doing all this research. And when I remember to do this, this is really great. I'll just say, you know what? Holy Spirit knows how to fix computers. And so I'll start praying in tongues and I'll, without fail. And this is 100%. I'll get the answer very shortly. And it will come as an idea I haven't thought of. And I'll try that and lo and behold, it works. Anybody ever had a situation like that? But, but you know what I'm talking about. He knows how to do stuff. And he will, he will help you and share that with you. Car keys. That's a great point. Did everybody hear what she said? It's an important point. She said it doesn't have to be big things like, should I move to Alaska or not? It can be, help me find my keys. Because he cares about your life. That's how he is. I love that about him. Has the Holy Spirit ever helped anybody here find their keys besides me? Isn't that cool? Did you have something you want to share? Just today, uh, I was looking for some paperwork uh, that I received a month or so ago and got buried someplace. I put it in a safe place. Okay. I need it for a doctor appointment tomorrow morning. And I prayed over that uh, for a good while today. And then when I didn't expect it, there it was. That's right. I, lo- I love that about him. Um, I could tell a bunch of those. I'm going to tell one because it just freaked me out so much. So I had bought a memory card for my phone, and it started messing up. And so I took it um, to work with me because I was going to fill out the uh, warranty stuff. And then I went from one building to another during the workday, and when I came back, it was gone. I lost it. It fell out of my pocket, I guess. So I, I spent all this time looking for it, and I was like, help me find it, Holy Spirit. And then I got home, and I was looking through some paperwork, and it was that memory card was in the case that it came in, even though I had lost it at work. No lie. I'm telling you, that freaked me out. Because I knew I took that to work, and I knew it wasn't in my pocket anymore. And I got home, and it was in the plastic case. No lie. True story. Um, this microphone I wear, it has a little plastic clip on it. it it's the shape of a, like a C, and the microphone pops in there, and they're really bad about breaking. So one of them broke, and I was trying to hang it over my shirt, and it just was ghetto and awful. And um, so I ordered some new ones, and when they came in, I was swapping my microphone out, and I looked, and the thing was back together. And I had to look at that like 10 times. I'm like, I know this thing broke, but he fixed my microphone clip. Like, these are just small things. I mean, God healed my wife from incurable disease, yes. But these are like things that don't seem like a big deal. But he cares about your life. I love that about him. What else? What are some of the things the Holy Spirit does? Susan. And what, what do you mean by discernment? Yeah, so he'll help you know what to pray about. What else? What are some other ones? Yes? He's our teacher. 
Yes, he's our teacher. He helps us learn the Word of God. Has anybody ever been reading the Bible and you've read this passage like 20 times and then one time you read it and it's like, man, I never saw that stuff in there before. That's the Holy Spirit helping you understand. Isn't that cool that he would take time of all the stuff he has to take care of to come help you understand a Bible verse? Anybody ever had that? What, what else? What else does he do? Yeah, he can lead you to the exact Bible verse that you need at that moment. Had that happen a lot. What about um, the gifts of the Spirit? Right? Like doing miracles. So we're going to, I'm going to call that miracles. And I'm going to come back and, and uh, diagram that in a second. What else does he do? Let's, let's go outside of just daily help. What are some major things he does? Yeah, so healing. Anytime someone's body gets healed, it's the Holy Spirit that healed their body. So when Jesus was going around healing the sick, the Holy Spirit was the one fixing their bodies, for example. Yes? So he gives you, uh, um, he enforces your authority. Can we say it that way? So he backs you up. How's that? When you go out to do God's will, the Holy Spirit backs you up. He's like the, um, he's the pistol to your badge. That's not a great analogy, but I hope it makes the point there. He's the power to go with your authority. Skip. In the healing part, is it he who raised Jesus from the dead, Lazarus from the dead? Yeah. The Holy Spirit raised Lazarus from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit brought Jesus to earth. It says the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and that's when she became pregnant with Jesus. In Genesis 1, it says um, God created the, the earth was without form or void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then the Father started saying things, and the Holy Spirit started making them happen. Like, let there be light, and there was light. The Holy Spirit... And again, this is an imperfect analogy because we, our brains can only go so far with this stuff. But the Holy Spirit is kind of like the interface between the natural and the supernatural. Like he brings the supernatural into our tangible experience. Like these things we're talking about up here. These things are supernatural. They're not natural. They're not human skill. They're things that come from God and they interact with your life somehow in a way that's tangible to you. What about in Galatians 5.22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. What about that? He helps you develop your character if you want to cooperate with him. So character development to the level that you agree to participate with. So for example, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so on. He is working on the inside of you to bring those things on the outside. Ephesians 1.14 says he's a seal, or he's like a guarantee of your inheritance. And we could fill this board with stuff about the Holy Spirit, but it would be wrong for us to lump all of them together and say they're all the same. They're different things he does, right? 
And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of those many, many things. It's not like the other ones. Okay? That was a major... This seems to be a common point of confusion with questions I get from people when I teach this subject. They want to lump everything into the same thing and think everything operates the same way. And it doesn't. So let's talk for a minute about... We're going to go more into the uh, more blatantly supernatural things. I'm going to talk about how the gifts of the Spirit operate. Now again, this is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is how the gifts of the Spirit operate. You can find a list of them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. And it tells us there that the gifts of the Spirit are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. manifestations of the Holy Spirit. When I say the word manifestation, what does that mean to you? If something manifests, or if there's a manifestation of something, what does that mean? Fruition. Okay, that's a good word, fruition. What were you saying? It makes it real. That's great. That's a very good. These are good ways to think about this. Keith, did you have something? It makes it apparent. Um, this definition I'm stealing from a man named Derek Prince. He says manifest the, the, what it means is to become detectable to your senses. And that is a great way to describe the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's the ways the Holy Spirit becomes detectable to our senses, either mentally, visually, physically. Skip. Yes, yes, yes. So I'll, I'll get into that. That's a good one. I had forgotten about that. So the way the gifts of the Spirit operate in general is like this. So I'm going to say this is God. Now God lives inside of you. So this diagram is not going to be completely accurate, but I wanted to show a, a flow of information. And here is you. And here is um, another person. So I'm going to say them. That can be one or more people. Okay? That box represents one or more people. Now, the gifts of the Spirit happen when God wants to do something for them. He picks you, gives you something, and you get to deliver it. And that's how they work. Okay? That's how the gifts of the Spirit work. You don't make them happen. You receive them and deliver them. So you are kind of like FedEx for God when that's going on. So for example, if you hear someone giving a, uh, a word of knowledge from the Lord, like a word from the Lord, like a prophecy or something from God, what's happening is God wants to communicate to these people. He picks somebody and gives them the information and has them speak it out on his behalf. Okay, has anyone been here on a Sunday and Brian is up in the, and he starts calling out somebody in here has something wrong with their elbow, or someone's got back pain? That is the Holy Spirit giving Brian that information, and when Brian receives it, he speaks it out and it benefits the people out there. Does that make sense? So some things that are different about the gifts of the Spirit than the other things that the Holy Spirit does. These are always initiated by him. They're not initiated by us. 
Okay? They're manifestations of the Spirit. And when these gifts happen to people that know what's going on, you don't look and say, man, that person is really awesome. You say, man, God is really awesome. Right? When you understand what's going on, you know that whatever just took place, it lets you know the Holy Spirit is tangibly among us. Like any time you hear Brian get up and speak those words, I'm using that because I think most of the people have seen that. Like, I think it was two weeks ago, he had a word about someone's back or something like that. And then I heard later that there was a person in the crowd that right when he said that, God healed their back, for example. And that doesn't, if we have a proper understanding of this, we don't go away saying, wow, look how smart Brian is. We say, wow, look how amazing God is. Now, this is where some confusion enters. But keep this diagram in mind for this next part. Two of the gifts of the Spirit are tongues and interpretation. Okay? Tongues and interpretation. Now, when that is going on, that means God has given someone something to speak out in a language that they don't understand and that the listeners do not understand. And then he will give that same person or someone else the interpretation of what was just said. And when they share the interpretation, it allows God to communicate to the group. Does that make sense to everybody? That is the time when tongues requires interpretation because it's meant for someone else's benefit. Questions on this? Or comments? Skip. Yeah, I'll get you next. Skip. There's not always an interpretation. Um, that, that's one thing I want to get into in a few minutes. Yes? I was just going to ask you to say that again. Yes. So when the gifts, I want to talk about all the gifts in general, happen, that, that means God, the Holy Spirit, gives you something to deliver to somebody else. So let's say if it's prophecy, he tells you what to say, and when you say it, the listeners receive a benefit from that. But the flow of information is coming from God through you to other people. And it says that we all benefit from that. Now, when tongues and interpretation are in operation, that means God gives somebody something to speak in a language that they don't understand. And then he will give that same person or someone else in the room the interpretation of what was said. And if both people agree and participate then the people in the room are blessed because God just spoke to them okay but sometimes this person will speak out what they what God gave them and someone else in the room got the interpretation but they're chicken out okay I've chickened out on that I've had God want me to be the one to speak in tongues and I've chickened out has anybody ever chickened out when God asked them to do something God still loves you when you chicken out Right? Um, but the point, one of the main things here that separates confusion from what we're going to talk about with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that these actions are initiated by God and they don't, they're not, you're not the primary beneficiary, someone else is. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. Yeah, so if you, when you are operating in the gifts of the Spirit, then you are like a messenger for God. You're like 
Federal Express. God gave you something and you deliver it to someone else. Let me give you an example of that just happening in this class. One night I'm teaching and in the middle of the class I felt like I was supposed to pray for somebody. And so I asked if I could and I walked over and on my way over to them I realized I didn't know what I was supposed to pray. And so I just said, do you mind if I speak in tongues? Because I just felt like that's what I was supposed to do. So I prayed for them in tongues and then it didn't seem like anything happened. So I came back and finished teaching the class. And at the end of the class, someone in the room said, I know what the interpretation was, but I didn't share it earlier because I wasn't sure. And when he shared it, was anybody here this night? When he shared what it was, it, it was something that had, God had told this man like 10 years ago and God was reminding him of it. Okay? And so I didn't know that was going on. I just felt like I was supposed to pray in tongues for him. Right? I didn't decide that's a great idea. That's just what happened. Like I felt like God was leading me. And he told someone else what the interpretation was. And if he would have chickened out, we wouldn't have got to see it. But he, he went for it. Now I will tell you this. I, it's very unusual when I'm operating in the gifts of the Spirit that I am absolutely certain that what I'm doing is the right thing. You may know what I'm talking. It's almost always requires you to require some level of risk, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like when God tells you to do stuff, on some level you're still going by faith. God, I hope this is you. Y'all know. So, any other questions on this? Yes. When God tells you to go talk to someone, right? So, so what? So the Holy Spirit can lead you to do different things. He may lead you over to this person, and he because he's given them something to tell you. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay, so it's the same thing. Yeah, all that's very similar. Yep. And when when that happens, we need to go, man. God loves me, or God knows everything, and let our focus be on God, not on the people that are doing it. Okay. Now the baptism with the Holy Spirit, now this is different than the other things I wrote on the board. Remember, like developing character in your life. This is not character development. This is another thing the Holy Spirit does. So I want to look at um, one of the things that come with the baptism with the Holy Spirit is the ability for you to speak in tongues anytime you want to. And that is not one of the gifts of the Spirit. That is something different. And this is a huge confusion for people. So if you will turn with me. I had no idea we were going to be doing this, by the way. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. The context for what we're about to read is Paul is writing a letter to a church in Corinth and they are operating in the power of God. The gifts of the Spirit are flowing there big time. They're seeing a lot of cool stuff happen, but they are very messed up in their thinking. And what he's going to be correcting here in this section of the letter is that they seem to think that 
operating in the gifts of the Spirit is some kind of badge of approval or some sign that you're better than other people. And they'd even gotten to the point where they thought some gifts were more important than other ones. And so these people had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. They could all speak in tongues. And from what he starts saying in here, you get the idea that when they would get together, it turned into who can speak in tongues the loudest contest. And when that's going on, that's confusion. That's inappropriate. That's taking something good, the ability to speak in tongues, and using it in the wrong way, using it in the wrong setting. Like you can have a tool that is amazing, but if you use it for the wrong job, it's not as awesome anymore. Like if... Like I have a cast iron skillet that's amazing for making fried eggs, but it is terrible for washing my car. <laughs> right? But that doesn't mean the thing's awful. It means I'm not using it for what it's for. You get what I'm saying? So the, the gift of tongues that, that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not mainly used to do it as loud as you can in a group of people. We're going to look at what it's for. So I just wanted you to have that context to kind of get why he's talking the way he is right here. He says in chapter 14, verse 1, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now watch this. For he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. So do you remember my diagram before? If it's the gifts of the Spirit... God gives you something, and then you give that to, to the other person. Remember that? And that's how the gifts work, and then they benefit. But tongues as a prayer language that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this says no man understands him, he's speaking to God. Right? Is that what it says in verse 2 in your Bible? When you're praying in tongues, you are talking to God, not to other people. That's, that's you talking to God. That's not giving you something to tell somebody else. Do you see the difference? The communication's going in the opposite direction. Let me read that again. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Do you see that? So when God baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, he gives you a new way to talk to him. It's not a new way to get up and preach the gospel. It's a way to talk to God. Questions on that or comments? I feel like this is important to somebody in here because I don't usually go this way. Let's keep going. It says, No one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, the word mystery there is not like a... Uh, mystery show, the, um, the Greek word there actually means hidden wisdom or wisdom that hasn't been revealed yet. So sometimes when you're speaking in tongues, you are praying or speaking out the answer to your problem. Like, I believe that's what's happening sometimes when I pray with a computer at work. That wisdom is getting released in me somehow. If we continue on, it says, But he who prophesies speaks edification, 
exhortation and comfort to men. So he is contrasting when we pray in tongues versus when we're operating in the gifts of the Spirit. When you're operating in the gifts of the Spirit, other people are the beneficiaries for the most part. Right? But when you pray in tongues, you are the beneficiary for the most part. You're the one getting the wisdom. Okay? That makes sense. Verse 4. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. What does the word edify mean? Or edif edifice? What? To build up. Or strengthen. Okay. It says when you speak in tongues, you are building up or strengthening yourself. When you speak in tongues, it is to build you up or strengthen you. Prophecy, God communicating to the group through someone, strengthens the whole group. And they're both good. I want both of those. I want everything God wants me to have. I want everything he has that's available to me. So one of the reasons you would speak in tongues is to build yourself up or to strengthen yourself. Your father wants you to be strong. Yes, sir. I forgive you. Yep. Yeah. That's what this class is for. So I love questions. Right. In a group setting. In a group setting. Well, he's talking about how they conduct themselves together in a group. If we're in a group here, yeah, so, so let, me, let me say it like this. If I got up here, no, no, it's good to take it literally. And this is worth chewing on because, believe me, this is, the enemy likes to put confusion here because of the power that is available. Okay? Yeah, I appreciate you asking me this because... This helps me know I'm on the right track with this stuff that I'm talking about. So if we're in a group and God wants to bless the group, if I prophesy, it's going to benefit the group better than if I'm praying in my prayer language directly to God. Okay? But later on, Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you put together. So he's not saying tongues is bad and prophecy is good. The point of this whole chapter is when you're in, use the gift for, that's appropriate for the setting you're in, right? Like the, my frying pan is not good for car washing. And my prayer language is good for when I'm talking to God. But it's my prayer language is not good for when I'm trying to teach, right? That's not helping you guys if I just sit up here and speak in tongues for 90 minutes and then we go home. That doesn't help anybody. It helps me a lot. But you got, you'll get bored pretty quickly if I just sit up here doing that. Skip. I, I like what my study Bible does on this. It, 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 it says, of all the special abilities the Spirit gives, uh, 
rec. So if we're in a group, it's more beneficial to more people if, we're, if the, the gifts of the Spirit are opera operating than all of us using our own prayer language at the same time, the whole time. Now this doesn't mean you can't, you, see this gets perverted in so many ways because some people will then turn this around and say, well, you can never speak in tongues if other people can hear you. And it's not saying that either. Has anybody ever heard that? Maybe it's just me. Yeah, you had a question? No, I was going to use you as an example. There have been times in classes where you had to pause and um, speak in tongues. Yes. The Lord, and then when you're done doing that, you come back and Correct. Yeah, that's a, so thank you. That's a great example. So there will be times in class where I'm teaching and something's getting funky in here. And if you've been coming for a while, you know what I'm talking about, okay? And sometimes I have a clear way of how to handle that, and sometimes I don't. It's like I'm not, I'm not getting the right directions or my antenna is not receiving properly. And so sometimes I'll say, y'all, excuse me for a second. I need to pray in the Spirit for a little bit. And I usually say, if you want to join me, you can. But it's not, we're not wild and crazy jumping around yelling at each other. I'm just praying in the Spirit to myself, and then God tells me which way to go. And then I, and then I go that way. Now, if, like I said, if I did that for 90 minutes, that, this is a terrible class to come to. Like, nobody would come. It would be me looking at the wall. Right? But I'm praying in tongues because I want that hidden wisdom. Like, I know it comes when I do that. It's guaranteed. So, and if I don't know what to pray, that's what I do. I pray in tongues. And God tells me what to do. And sometimes I'll pray in tongues, and I don't know what the answer is yet. But I believe, just because of the way I've learned to walk with God, is that after I do that, I just start moving. Because it's easy to, easier to steer a ship that's moving through the water than one that's sitting still. You know what I'm saying? And so I'll just, I'll pray, yeah, so that, that's an appropriate use of that in a group. Or sometimes God's presence gets so thick in here, we just want to worship him. And so sometimes we'll all be praying in tongues together then, but nobody's expecting to understand what's being said. We're all worshiping God, right? We're all talking to God. We're not trying to talk to each other, right? And so this is a little harsh, but... Um, if I'm worshiping God in tongues and I'm being appropriate for the setting I'm in and someone says, well, you can't do that. I don't understand you. I'll say, well, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> You're not the person I was talking. I'm talking to my father. It was private. Right? Now, people can get overboard and we have grace for everybody and, you know, nobody's, we're not under rigid rules. But it's just like, what is appropriate for the setting you're in? Like in the middle of church, when someone's preaching, is it good to stand up and pray in English as loud as you can? No, that's inappropriate. But praying is still good. But that's just not doing it in the appropriate setting. You get what I'm saying? So it's not appropriate for someone to just stand up and use their prayer language right in the middle and interrupt what's going on. Even though praying in tongues is good. There's just the right, there's right and wrong times to do that. And that's what this chapter 14 is about, learning the difference between something that's for the group and something that's for yourself. So like he said, if someone speaks in tongues, they edify themselves. That's a good thing. God wants us to strengthen ourselves. That's one of the purposes 
that he gives us the ability to speak in tongues when he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. But God also, when we're in a group, wants to strengthen the group too. Right? He wants to strengthen the group. And so something that's going to benefit everybody in a group is better than something that's going to benefit one person usually. This is a very good discussion. Thank you for asking that question. Any other comments or questions on that whole idea there? I'm sure if I asked everybody to raise your hand, have you ever been in a setting where things weren't being done correctly? And a lot of people, and a lot of people, that's their only experience. And they go somewhere where people are not behaving with wisdom, and then they just want to throw the whole thing out, right? But uh, like my friend Bill says, if you're driving down the road and someone else is driving crazy and terrifying everybody, do you go home and say, no, that driving's from the devil. I'm just not going to drive. Cars are awful. Just because one person's not doing it right doesn't mean it's bad. Okay, we're going to keep going in 1 Corinthians. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, so Yep, so he's saying uh, having a conversation someone was talking about how speaking in tongues can divide a church and yes it can. But the color of the carpet can divide a church. Right? People are crazy. You know what I'm saying? And speaking in tongues is in the Bible. It says, like you said, do not Let's look at that. Verse 39. Yeah. What does verse 39 say in your Bible? It says, Desire, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. So if you're somewhere and they forbid speaking in tongues, that's not biblical. That's anti-Bible. Yeah, let all things be done decently in order. Like, use your brain. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all should know what's appropriate. Let me rephrase that. Because sometimes God's idea of appropriate makes us readjust our idea of appropriate. Because if you remember the day of Pentecost, when they all, the Holy Spirit fell on everybody in Acts chapter 2, and they spoke in tongues for the first time, and people heard this loud commotion and gathered up and to see what was going on, and some people were saying, they look like they're drunk. You know what I'm talking about? But that is completely orderly to God, because he's the one that did that. So sometimes if what we're seeing doesn't match our idea of an orderly service, we need to be careful about saying it's not God. That's the position I take. 
And for me personally, I like to err on the side of liberty and give people the benefit of the doubt because I know I don't do everything right. You know what I'm saying? So yes, yeah, some, some things get out of order, but I would rather it get out of order than to be the frozen chosen. You know, and you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Right. To people that are spiritually sensitive, it seems like a good, it flows that way, like it seems normal, like it seems to flow together. Yeah, not disruptive. That's a great way to put it. All right, verse 6. So this is what, this is why I do that in class sometimes. It says, Brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you? unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. So to me, those are things that come out of a life that's filled with speaking in tongues. Like it says, Paul tells us that he speaks and he's thankful that he speaks in tongues more than all of them. And he's telling us some things that come out of his daily speaking in tongues. It says, revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or teaching. All those can come from you speaking in tongues. For example, there have been times where someone contacted me and asked me to come teach their meeting, teach at their meeting. And I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to go do it or not. And I remember one in particular, and this has happened multiple times. I'm driving home from work, and as they often do, I just start speaking in tongues in the car. And I'm just speaking in tongues while I'm driving home, and I'm talking to God. And I don't know what I'm talking about. And before I know it, I'm already, and I'm going to use the word daydreaming, but that's not really what it is, but that's the best way I can describe so people know what I'm talking about. I'm already daydreaming about everything I'm going to teach and it's getting laid out in my head at that meeting. And so I know God's telling me not only, yes, go do it, and here's what you're going to talk about. But that, I'm just praying in tongues, talking to God all the way home, and he brings this stuff into my head. You see what I'm saying? And whatever you're doing, you can pray in tongues. At home, when I'm, uh, like my wife Teresa will want me to fix something that I don't know how to fix, like a washing machine. I don't know how to fix a washing machine. But I'll pray in tongues and I'll go in there and go at it. And I'll learn how to fix it. Because I believe God's going to help me understand it. See, I found out this thing, it's like a Swiss Army knife. And I use it for everything I can. Why not? God's not going to be mad at me for using the tools he gave me. You know what I'm saying? Did Jesus rebuke his disciples for going, believing God too much? You guys are believing too much. You're going to have to cut that out. Did Jesus say that? You guys are just going for God too hard. You're going to have to tone it down. Use it, man. All right. Let's skip down to... Uh, but to me, we can, well, this is one of the things that we can talk about every week because it's so good. A human being is a spirit being and your spirit lasts forever. And you have a soul and you live inside of a body. Okay? And I'm going to not go into as much detail as I did on this last week. But... Um, your soul 
that's your mind, your will, your emotions. That's where logic and reason and all that kind of stuff comes out of. Your body, that's your, just your physical body. But your spirit, that's you. And some of the functions of your spirit, your spirit was made for communication and communion with God. And when you get saved, we talked about last week, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of your spirit. And the Bible also says that you become sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And one of my favorite verses on this, this is a good one to meditate on. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. I'm not going to go there now. But it says, He who is, think about this, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. That is awesome, isn't it? Like, what does that even mean? My spirit and the Holy Spirit are so joined together, we're one together. However that works. I don't know what that looks like. But I really like thinking about that. Now, it tells me in this verse, well, before we go there. So your mind and your will and your emotions, those are all given to you by God. They're not good or bad. It's just whatever you use them for. Okay? You can use your mind to think about good things and come up with great ideas, and you can use your mind to think about bad things. Right? Your, your soul, which is these things right here, when God designed us, it's supposed to be your spirit that's in charge, and then your soul and your body are tools that you use, or passengers, or servants of your spirit. Your soul makes a great assistant, but it makes a terrible, terrible leader. Okay? Because if you're someone like me, I'm very analytical, and I want to be logical, and I want everything to fit into a flowchart. But in order for my logic and reason to be trustworthy, I have to have all the data to do my calculations on. But I don't, that's ridiculous to think that you know everything to make enough good a decision just using your logic and reason. Because there's a whole spirit realm I don't, that doesn't even fit anywhere into my logic and reason. So my mind, even though it's useful, is not, should not be the final say. My mind should be influenced by my spirit, not the other way around. Okay? Likewise, well, let's say with my emotions. My emotions are there for good, but they're not there to lead me. I, your emotions are good, but they're not trustworthy to tell you the truth. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you can watch a fake movie, watch a movie that's not even real, it's fiction, and it can affect you emotionally. Your emotions cannot tell you the truth. They can't tell you what the truth is. That's not what they're for. So that's where we can get messed up if, if we're letting this part of our body be in charge, this part of our being, not our body. All right? Y'all with me on that so far? Now, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. I used to think that when you pray in tongues, it's the Holy Spirit praying. Has anybody ever thought that? But that says, when I pray in tongues, it's my spirit. 
That means when I'm speaking in tongues, whatever I'm speaking is coming out of here. It's not coming out of my mind, my will, and my emotions. It's coming out of my spirit. And as we talked about last week, a person that's born again, born of spirit, has had their spirit been made brand new by God. And God made your spirit holy, righteous, complete, perfect. We had verses for all those last week. In your spirit, there isn't any fear. We don't have a spirit of fear. Y'all know that verse? Your spirit's never afraid, never confused. Okay? Those things happen in your mind and your emotions. Well, when it says, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, then I'm saying a prayer that's not influenced by any of my wrong thinking or wrong emotions. Isn't that cool? It's like I get to totally leapfrog all of this stuff that's incomplete. That's why people say when you pray in tongues, you're praying the perfect prayer. Because you are. You're praying a prayer that is not influenced by your wrong thinking. Skip. Yes. I like what you're saying, but I don't fully understand well, if you're asking me a question. Okay. Yeah, so, so, the, so check this out. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is in you, but it also says that he's with you. Like he's in you and he's with you. It says that Christ is in you, but it also says you are in Christ. And your life is hidden with God. Right? Like we are in God, we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us, it's like very intimate. Like we don't know how to put, work that in our brain. That's why I shy away from praying things like God be with us. Because that means I don't believe that stuff I just said. Like God is with me. He's in me. And I'm in him. He, he is with me. I don't even have to ask him. Is that kind of what you're getting at? I'm going to have to meditate. Am I... Uh, So God, so let me, let me try this. God can tell you, the Holy Spirit can tell you things in your spirit that you did not think of. And, that, and when you think of them, you find it hard to believe them, but he told you and you know it. You know what I'm saying? He didn't tell you through your mind. He didn't tell you through your emotions. He told you in your spirit. And somehow you just know it on the inside of you. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that cool? And like that's how when we talk to God, we don't have to talk out loud. We can communicate internally like that. We can talk to him all kinds of ways. Hope that's maybe getting to what yeah, you're saying. And see, because of this and because of those verses I quoted and this truth that the Holy Spirit's in me and that he will never leave me or forsake me, 
I can, by faith, say and be telling the truth that when I shows up, the Holy when I show up, the Holy Spirit shows up. Do you know what I'm saying? And you need to be thinking that way. When you go somewhere, the Holy Spirit went there. You are never without God. I love that. That's a good point, man. I, I hope hopefully I'm getting what you're. So Paul says that when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but it says my understanding, some of your translations might say my mind doesn't understand. Right? Does your Bible, anybody's Bible say mind there? What that, what's happening there is there's a part of you that's your soul that's used to being in charge. And when you start speaking in tongues, your mind usually doesn't like it. Your mind is going to want to drag it from the spirit into the natural where you're going to try to use logic and reason to determine if what you're saying is really a language, for example. So a lot of people, especially, especially like, I, like in my work and stuff, people that are like analytical, techie, logical people tend to have a harder time with speaking in tongues than, than some people. Because it's hard for them to not let their mind be in, be the, in charge. Like everything has to submit to logic. But speaking in tongues does not submit to logic. Your mind is supposed to submit to your spirit, not the other way around. Okay? And so for people like me, when they first start praying in tongues, it can be difficult because you're trying to analyze to see if you're doing it right. But in order for that to work, what, are you, what data are you using for your analysis? What are you comparing it to? How do you, what, that doesn't even make sense. Do you know all 6,000 languages in the world so that you can scan yours against all of them and say, no, that's not a language? Like, have you ever been in the store and someone's speaking Chinese or something, and you hear them walk by and it sounds like they're saying the same thing over and over? Right. Or if you turn your TV on the foreign channel and people are speaking a different language, you couldn't tell if that's a language or not. So how are you going to tell that this spiritual language coming out of you is real? That's your mind not wanting to give up control. Skip. Is there also the darkness, the enemy telling you you're not doing it right? Yes. Yeah, so... So something we talk about in here fairly regularly is that the enemy will never want to battle you in here. He never wants to come against you in the spirit. He's always going to want to drag you out here into soul or body. So he will, for someone like me, he will start tempting me to try to make rational, logical conclusions off of what's going on, for example. Or he may try to put fear on you about it. So the enemy could, like, for someone like me, when the night I received the baptism, I spoke in tongues for, like, I don't even know how long. And I got through, and I sat down on the couch, and I started thinking, did I do it right? But again, in order for me to be able to answer the question whether I did it or not, what, what research am I basing that? Like, how am I even going to know if I did it right? It's hard for me to explain that, but hopefully some of y'all are getting that. Now, if it tells me that when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, 
that tells me that I'm the one that initiates that. When I want to pray in tongues, then I pray in tongues. I don't need a feeling. For example, I'm saying this because some people teach that you don't pray in tongues unless you have some kind of an unction. But that's unbiblical. In verse 15 it says, what's the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, but I'll also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I'll also sing with understanding. Another way of saying that is, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to pray in tongues, and sometimes I'm going to pray in English. And they're both good. We're not comparing them one to another. They're both good. Do both. Okay? But can you pray in English anytime you want to? Yes. And you can pray in tongues anytime you want to once you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. You can do it anytime you want to. Now Paul tells them, so several places, but one, for example, is Ephesians 6.18. He tells the Christians, pray in the Spirit at all times. So Paul says, pray in the Spirit at all times. Well, if he's telling you to pray in the Spirit more, that, by definition, implies that you have some control over that. Why would he tell you to do something you couldn't do? You know what I'm saying? If he's telling you to pray in the Spirit more and more often, then that implies that you have the ability to choose to do it more and more often. What? Right. Exactly. And, and why is that? Because he wants to do something that's going to benefit the group, not be selfish. See, when you get that context, it helps this chapter not be so confusing. Here's one. This used to bother me, and then I saw it in a different light. Uh... Verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say you are out of your mind? Right? So it says there's two groups of people uninformed or unbelief. Uninformed, those that are uninformed or those that are unbelievers. And those people, if they hear people speaking in tongues, they're going to think they're out of their mind. They're calling them unbelievers or uninstructed. Uninstructed, that's another way to say it. So either they're ignorant, another, some translations say that, they're ignorant of it, or they don't believe it. Okay, those are the only two people that should have problems with people speaking in tongues. Un ungifted? See, that's not a that's not accurate translation. Yeah, just throw it out. Yep. Now we were actually talking before class. Sometimes the trans you dip, if you're reading a the translators. Sometimes their bias comes through in the translation. So it's good to, if you want to really get an idea of what the verse is saying, you need to read a bunch of translations on that verse and get, 
get the idea of what everybody's saying. Yes. 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 You were correct. Yeah. Yeah. Are you asking me a question? Yeah. No, it's not because you don't believe in God. Like no one's ever told you about it, for example. So that would put you in uninformed. Or people have told you and you just said, I don't want any part of that because you don't believe it. I'm not saying that about you. I'm saying those are the two kinds of people that are going to have problems with speaking in tongues. But Christians that are informed and believe God should not have a problem with speaking in tongues. That's the, the point I'm trying to make. If you know it, if you're informed. If you're informed, if someone shows you in the Bible, now you're informed, and if you believe it, then you are neither one of these. You should be okay with it. Good question. Anybody else? Any other comments on this? Skip. What about that uh, old man comment uh, that I've got in, I keep hearing about? That was just for that. That was just for that time. So has anybody in here ever heard that speaking in tongues was just for back then? Just for the first century or just for the apostles? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to show you where that comes from, and I'll, uh, I'll give you some comments, and then let you make your own decision. But if you go to um, chapter 13, it's the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, it's interesting that 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter on love, and it gets used in wedding ceremonies a lot. But it's sandwiched in between 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is about the gifts of the Spirit. And 13, I mean, chapter 14, which is what we were just reading, is the proper use of tongues and gifts in, when you're assembled together in a group setting. That's what chapter 14 is about. 13 is about the, having the correct motive for operating in the gifts. First Corinthians 13 is encouraging them that when they operate in the gifts of the Spirit, let love be their motive rather than showing off or one-upmanship or pride or whatever else it is, okay? Now, it is a beautiful chapter about love and God's love, but the point of the chapter is when you operate in the gifts, let love be your motive. I'm saying this because I've heard people tell me before, well, I would rather have love than the gifts. And to me, that's a fault. You don't have to pick one or the other. Why not have both? 
right? But at the end of that chapter, it says, love, this is verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But, that which, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So he's talking about now and then, okay? So some things are for now and some things are for then. Is that correct? And he says tongues are for now, prophecy, knowledge is another one he says, but then those things will cease. Is that correct, based on what we just read? When you read that without somebody telling you what it means, what do you think the, when the then is talking about? Then we will see face to face. Then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. Right, that is when you're with Jesus in person, right? But what people that want to tell you that tongue sees, they say then is when the Bible was completed. They say once we have the Bible, we don't need tongues anymore. That's that argument. Has anyone in here ever heard that? Yes. I, well, if you grew up in certain, that's what they teach. How would Paul, when he's writing this, know that he's even writing the Bible? He's writing a letter to some people. We know that's not what he's talking about. But it also says knowledge is going to cease at the same time. So did knowledge cease when the Bible was written? No. The Bible doesn't tell us that tongues will cease. In fact, it says the opposite. And if you were in a conversation with someone along these lines, I'll give you a, a verse for this, and then we're going to end. So if you go to Acts chapter 2, I'm just going to skip to the verse. So what, uh, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 is when the baptism of the Holy Spirit first took place. And it says the Holy Spirit descended on the group of 120 people. It says they all spoke in tongues. And then people gathering around started saying, what are they doing? They look like they're drunk. And they were arguing about what was going on. And then Peter gets up and verse 14 starts saying this. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So what he's describing, he's saying Joel was talking about what you just heard. He says, In the last days it shall come to pass, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, 
And then he goes through some of the things. So that tells me that speaking in tongues is for the last days. Think about that. He said, this is, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, and that's what you're hearing. Tongues is not for just then, it's for all the way to the last days. Are we still in the last days? Are the last days over? They're not. So tongues is for now. See, at some point in the past, it seemed like some of the church went from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Bible. Like, the, we don't need the Holy Spirit, now we have the Bible. But we need the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Right? What would we do without Him? And why wouldn't we want everything that He has available to us? Any questions before we end? Yes. So let me restate the question. If someone's telling me that speaking in tongues is out of order and from the devil, what would I say? I would say, was, it, was the day of Pentecost orderly, in your opinion? It, because here's a bunch of people speaking in tongues out loud, so loud that a city comes over and thinks they're drunk. Right? Our, our uh, 21st century religious idea of order doesn't always match God's idea of order. So that's one thing I would say. Now saying that it's from the devil, it said don't forbid speaking in tongues. I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Why would he say that if that's from the devil? So both of those uh, scriptures are in 1 Corinthians 14. One of them is 14.39 where it says don't forbid speaking in tongues. There's four times in the Bible where people get baptized with the Holy Spirit that, that they tell the story of what's going on. I would encourage you to look through these because we're going to talk about them some next week. Um, they are Acts 2, Acts 10, I'm sorry, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19. 2, 8, 10, and 19, okay? In all four of them, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit took place, and I'm ending here, something happened that people standing around could tell that something happened. There's something obvious to the onlookers, okay? That's consistent in all four stories. Now, they all have different levels of detail, but that is common among all of them. Three of the stories tell us explicitly what that was that happened that caused people to know something happened. And this is in Acts 2, 10, and 19. It tells us explicitly that when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. Acts 8 doesn't tell us what happened. Okay? That's enough evidence for me to say that speaking in tongues comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Never does it say they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, but they did not speak in tongues. Or they baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then they had something other than tongues happen. It never says that. If it tells you what happened, it's always tongues. Okay? You have a question? Did Jesus ever speak in tongues? Not that I know of. I wish I knew the answer to that. I have really looked for that, but I can't, I can't, I can't get to where I can say confidently yes or no on that. Another way to think about this, any time in the Bible where we see someone speak in tongues for the first time, it's always when they get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's 100% consistent. Okay, so I'm going to pray for us right now, and then I'm going to give us some instructions, okay? So, Father, um, it just seems like an unusual journey you took us on tonight, but I thank you for that, Lord, and I pray every... Uh,